Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And today, more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. Today, we have a very special podcast on Purpose 360. So many of you reach out to me and you ask for advice. How do I get into a purpose career as a consultant or as a sustainability expert? I don't have the training or the education, or I want to start my own consultancy, or I want to lead in a not-for-profit. Well, today's guest, Dory Clark, has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50 and was recognized as the number one communication coach in the world by the Marshall Goldsmith Leading Global Coaches Awards. She graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Smith College at the age of 18, and two years later, she gained her master's in theological studies from the Harvard Divinity School. She was a journalist and a spokesman for a presidential candidate. But those weren't really doing it for Dory, and she wanted to pivot. So she started studying reinvention, and she has built a thriving career around it. She walks the talk as an authentic person who has found their purpose. And thus today, when we have our conversation, I really want to drill down into, I think there's at least a dozen insights for any of you who truly want to add purpose to your careers. So let's get into it. Welcome, Dory. Carol, so good to be part of this show. Thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. So let me start out with a very profound question. Who is Dory Clark? So in a literal sense, Carol, um, I write business books. The most recent one is Entrepreneurial You, which I did for Harvard Business Review. I teach part-time for the business schools at Duke and Columbia. I consult and give speeches and things like that. But overall, uh, I would say that my uh, the way that I describe what I do is that I help individuals and companies find ways to get their message heard in an increasingly noisy and crowded environment. So what is your purpose? And I, I want to ask in two different areas, both business, but also personal. And are they the same or not? They don't have to be. When I think about my purpose, certainly from a professional perspective, I a mantra that I have is that I want the the best ideas to win, not the loudest voices. And so often in our society, it seems like it is the loudest voices, the people who uh, thump their chests the most or make the biggest fuss. And somehow they get the attention, they get uh, heralded. And it's not good for society. I don't think that that's the world that any of us want to live in. And yet, 
based on collective decisions that somehow uh, we we all have contributed to, that's the world in which we find ourselves. And so one of the things I'm very interested in doing is finding a way to level the playing field so that through information, through transparency, smart, talented people and uh, the companies that they work for can get their voices heard so that the best ideas are actually the ones that win. What about your personal purpose? Yeah, so my personal purpose is it's a little harder to discern sometimes. I I think that uh, certainly working for myself, having been self-employed for 14 years, I am someone who has a lot of overlap in terms of my personal and professional life. I mean, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I am not the kind of person that draws a sharp distinction between the personal and the professional because I feel like it's it's very much melded together and I, I get a lot of meaning out of it. Um, I certainly have a lot of other interests. Um, and so I have, over the past few years, uh, gone through some intensive training around writing musical theater, for instance. So I've been doing that a lot. Um, so I'm not really sure. I feel, I feel like in a sort of general amorphous sense, I have, I have a contribution to make in the world. But in terms of what form that takes precisely, I feel like TBD. I'm, I'm working on it. So let's go back to my my introductory premise, that there are so many thousands of individuals that truly want to shift in their careers to a more purposeful career, whether they are in the sustainability department or whether they're innovating in manufacturing that might have a sustainability lens or they're involved in a not-for-profit or such. You were a journalist, You were, you know, you were a communications leader for a presidential candidate. You know, you almost got into the White House. And so what was that seminal moment when you decided to pivot from that to your current career? In those particular situations, you know, one of of the concepts that I talk about, Carol, in my book, Reinventing You, is what I call capital R reinvention and lowercase r reinvention. And capital R reinvention is the kind of big shifts that a lot of people think about when they think reinvention. Like, oh, you change fields, you change careers, it's a really big deal. And then there's also lowercase r reinvention that is a little bit more subtle, you know, sort of the smaller pivots that we make on an ongoing basis. So shifting from from journalism to politics and then shifting from politics, they were both definitely capital R reinventions Sometimes those are really exciting. Sometimes those are things that you've been hoping and dreaming about. Oh, you know, I want to change and and do this this calling that I've had. And sometimes they are uh, exciting in a bad way. And I will say that uh, my initial reinventions were uh, were forced reinventions. So I shifted out of journalism because I got laid off from my job. And uh, it was a recession. It was 2001. So I was not able to get another job as a journalist. So I kind of had to scrap to find something else. And then working in politics, I was a press secretary on a governor's race. And as you mentioned, I was a uh, national spokesperson on a presidential race. But unfortunately, both of my candidates lost. So I had to figure it out. So let's now turn to reinventing you. And I love... You know, I love all your books, but this is my favorite book. And, you know, this is how this is a a phrase that I wanted to, to showcase. Become more authentic in work and life. 
Build a career that leverages your unique passions and talent. Reinvent yourself professionally and ensure others recognize the powerful contribution you can make. That's two very distinct elements, reinvent and then ensuring others recognize the shift. So let's start with reinvention. When to reinvent? When do you know it's time I need to reinvent, whether it's a large R or a small R? Yeah, such a good question, Carol. Of course, there are circumstances like uh, like the forced reinvention where it's thrust upon you. But for people where it's a little bit more subtle of a situation, maybe uh, maybe there's a, a sort of brewing unhappiness. Uh, it 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 can be the kind of thing the still small voice that people often talk themselves out of for a long time. And I think it is an important thing for us to be aware of because you can go years sometimes just kind of tamping down those those feelings and say, oh, it's not practical. I shouldn't do it. Oh, I should just stick to, to where I am. I should stick to the safe thing. I, I think that really the two indicators that I would look to if you are thinking about a reinvention or trying to gauge whether it's the right thing, I'll call them just the positive and negative indicators. The, the negative indicator would be, do you feel dread? <laughs> even even slight manifestations of dread when it's time for you to do what technically your job is. You know, this is kind of the the you know the stomach ache on Sunday night when you start thinking, oh God, I have to go back. Or, you know, are you just not very excited about it? Do you feel bored? Do you feel like you're in a rut? Those might be indicators that something else uh, could be better for you. And then on the flip side, there's the positive indicators. Maybe there is something that you increasingly have gotten really excited about. Maybe you found uh, a new hobby, a new passion. Maybe there's something that that was there all along. Maybe it's something you loved from the time you were a kid, but everybody told you, no, no, that could never work. That's, you know, people don't have that as a job, but it keeps coming back to you. It keeps burbling up and you feel a huge amount of excitement. That could be a positive reason to think seriously about reinvention. You have many chapters in the book, and I'd like to go through the ones that I think will really help to inform our listeners. So um, the first question I'd love, to, love you to answer is, how to investigate your potential passions. You know, these are like, I guess, the little stepping stones that are going to show you where you might be able to reinvent yourself. I, I think sometimes people put a lot of pressure on themselves and, and they feel like, oh, you know, I, I don't I don't know what my passion is and therefore I can't I can't progress at all. I cannot pass go because I just don't know what I was meant for in the universe. And I, I think obviously that is uh, sort of high stakes, right? If, if you think that you have to have all the answers, well, uh, most of us don't have all the answers. So uh, so that's, that's kind of a high bar. Uh, what I like to suggest instead is that people not necessarily think, oh, what's my passion? What am, what am I meant for? But instead, ask what they're curious about. You know, just investigate. How do you spend your free time? When you are not required to be spending time on something, what is it you're doing? Are you reading? Are you listening to podcasts? Are you going to restaurants? Are you exercising? Are you participating in a sport? Are you really into animals? You know, whatever, whatever it is, but people vote with their feet and you can actually see evidence of the kinds of things that you're curious about and interested in. That's that's one really good starting place. Your next chapter, you say how to test drive to find the perfect fit. 
So how about that? It sounds like you don't have to totally throw yourself into it, that you can do little bits of it. It's true. It's true. Oftentimes, again, people people put a huge amount of pressure on themselves because they assume, oh, I need I need to know all the answers and I need to just jump into it. Well, that's often uh, sort of a recipe for disaster, you know, to jump off the proverbial cliff. Um, it's it's a lot better to test it. In Reinventing You, I actually tell the story of a woman who visited a career counselor, and this woman was totally set. She had decided what her calling was. She was going to be a floral designer. And the career counselor is like, oh, okay, uh, have you ever done that? Have you ever tried it? And the woman's like, no, but I don't need to. I know. And the career counselor very wisely said, you know what? Why don't you just take a day and volunteer at a flower shop and see what you think? And the woman's like, oh, this is so unnecessary, whatever. (laughs) But she did it. And it turns out she literally left at lunchtime and never came back. (laughs) That's funny. Because she said that no... No one's ever told me that it was so cold because they keep it like 60 degrees because they're working with flowers. And she for her, that was a deal breaker. And so uh, she she could have just found herself in a career that she was totally unsuited for. But she was able to weed it out thanks to the perspicacity of that career counselor. Okay, your next chapter, you say how to you ask the question how to refine the skills that you may need to reinvent yourself. So how do you refine them? Yes. So one thing that you often find when there's a career change is that you are probably overdeveloped in certain skills and possibly, depending on your new career, maybe a little underdeveloped in certain skills. You know, that's that's not people often feel really bad about that or really inadequate about that. But it's OK because you it's not like you've been eating bonbons. You've been developing skills. It's just a slightly different mix depending on what your particular career requires. And so what I encourage people to do, first of all, is make an inventory to see okay, where where are the places, what are the things I need to know how to do that I just don't really know? I mean, maybe in a given career, you haven't had to really worry about social media, but now it actually becomes important. You need to be pretty conversant with LinkedIn or with Facebook or, or Twitter or what have you. And so it's useful to both do that inventory saying, well, what what is it I need to know that I am lacking currently? And then ask yourself the question, what is it that I could do to bridge that gap? And oftentimes the default people have is, oh, well, I should just get a degree. But, you know, don't go there immediately. That's very expensive. Instead, think about, could you take a course? Could you get a certificate? Could you read a book? Could you do an apprenticeship with somebody? Could you do a, a, you know, LinkedIn learning course for an hour over your lunch break? You know, what is the quickest and easiest way to learn these things? But you, you want to make sure that you are identifying the gaps and then working to fill them. So then you talk about finding a mentor. And so I find that a little counterintuitive that you haven't gone to the new reinvention, but you're saying go find a mentor. So why is that so important? Well, you know, we all know, of course, in our culture that mentors are useful. Um, just on its face, it's helpful, right? Like, oh, good. You know, some, someone who knows what they're doing can give me advice and save me from making all the mistakes that, that they made along the way. That seems like a pretty handy thing to have. Uh, but one of the points that I make in Reinventing You is the fact that I think oftentimes the conversation that we have culturally around mentorship is unnecessarily limited because so often 
when we think about a mentor, what comes to mind, you know, what the conversation is, is usually this older, wiser person that is exactly who we want to be in 10 or 20 years. And of course, that is fantastic if you actually can find that person, but that is vanishingly rare that you would find them and they would be equally interested in essentially volunteering their time to help you. So I propose something that I call a mentor board of directors, where you actually think a little bit more expansively about who you can learn from. And it could be uh, your, your peers, it could even be people junior to you, but that they have some some particular skill or ability or trait that you admire. And if you have that, you can actually learn from all the people around you. And it makes a really big difference in terms of accelerating your learning. The next area is how do you begin to craft your narrative? Because, you know, you talk about getting the word out and it's a new narrative. One of the challenges when it comes to reinvention is the fact that even if you're doing a new thing, it takes a while for people to realize it. They keep thinking of you in the old way because they're, it's a habit, right? They're just used to it. Oh, you know, Carol, she, she does purpose, right? They've known that for years. But when you suddenly decide, no, I want to be a, you know, a professional hang glider, it's going to take a few iterations. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe not literally that. Okay. But. <laughs> So we need to control the narrative and remind people so that it stays top of mind and it actually finally sinks in. So one great thing, uh, this is actually a place where social media, which is which is deleterious in so many ways, uh, but in this particular way, it can be quite helpful because you might not see somebody that frequently. There's not necessarily going to be that many touch points where you can tell them in person, oh, right, well, let me tell you about this new hang gliding business. Uh, but if you're constantly posting on social media and, oh, Carol wrote an article about it. Oh, look, Carol's sharing something about it. Oh, it's a picture of Carol doing it. Uh, over time, they get enough touch points and they will begin to remember and realize, oh, here's a new thing. I need to update the way that I think about her. Let's turn to chapter nine, one of my favorites in the book, because it's loaded with insights, how to introduce the new you. Can you touch upon some of these? So when is the right moment? Yes. So the, the, the great unveiling. Uh, <laughs> I, I think ultimately when it comes to, uh, to the new you and unveiling your new identity, one of the things that I've really learned in the course of studying reinvention is that we have to be clear in our messaging and clear in how we're presenting ourselves because it is perfectly fine, right? People don't always realize this. It's perfectly fine and perfectly acceptable to not have all the answers, to not necessarily know where we're going, but we have to be upfront about that and couch it appropriately. Because if I say to you, hey, Carol, I'm thinking about changing careers and I'm looking at a few things. I'm looking into investment banking and I'm looking into real estate and I'm looking into tech. Well, that's fine, right? That's, that's good. And if you have ideas or suggestions, you can do something about it. But the problem comes when if I prematurely say, oh, hey, Carol, I'm thinking of changing careers, I'm going to be an investment banker. At that point, if I sound too definitive, you might say, oh, great. Well, my, you know, my uh, friend is the CEO of Goldman Sachs. Let me hook you up. And what happens if you do that? And then I, I meet with a person and suddenly, oh, you know what, Carol? Actually, I don't want to be an investment banker. Actually, I want to be a travel writer. 
you're going to freaking hate my guts because you have, I, I've blown your political capital, which is one of the worst things that you can do. So you have to make sure in terms of how you are introducing yourself to people that you were, that you're being really upfront about where you are in the process. And when you're sure you can let people know that, but you want to, uh, to be judicious up to that point. So that really rolls well into when are the right opportunities to leverage the new you? One of the the concepts that I talk about in Reinventing You is the fact that we often culturally discuss reinvention as kind of a one-time phenomenon. Oh, he reinvented himself. Now he's a painter or whatever it is. And, you know, that yes, that's true. But technically we're reinventing ourselves all the time, right? We're we're meeting new people, we're introducing ourselves to new people, and we're shifting in large and small ways, right? This is kind of the, the lowercase r reinvention. And so I have a concept that I talk about called living your brand because you, you can't really effectively say, oh, good, I reinvented myself once, now I'm set for the next 50 years, right? That doesn't, that doesn't really make sense. We need to think consciously about how to make sure on an ongoing basis, we are continuing to send the right message about ourselves to other people. And so it's really getting clear, you know, is there alignment between the actions that I'm taking, the things that I'm saying, and how I would like to be seen in the world. And so if you want to be seen as a strategic leader, well, what are you doing to make that happen, right? You can't just say, I'm so strategic. That doesn't work very well. You need to demonstrate it. Maybe you raise your hand and you volunteer to be the head of the of the uh, planning committee at your firm. Maybe you're the person who at meetings is, you know, always kind of chiming in with a 30,000 foot view. Maybe you're the person who reads lots of books on strategy and is constantly talking about them at work to share your insights. Those are the kinds of things that actually can make a difference. This takes work. It does. In the chapter, you also talk about winning over previous friends and colleagues. And so this is likely going back to your thought about they need to understand the new you, the evolved you, but but why is this so important and how do you do it? One of the things that I realized, Carol, in the course of my research is that intuitively, most people, if if you just ask them off the top of their head, if they are planning a reinvention, they would tend to assume that their spouse, their close family, their friends are going to be their biggest boosters in the reinvention. And of course, on some levels, that makes sense, right? They're the people that love you. They're cheering you on. And yet, ironically, so many people discover in the middle of the process to their chagrin, sometimes causing real problems, that ironically, it's the opposite. The people closest to them are sometimes the biggest impediments. They are the people who are the devil's advocates. They're the critics. And it can be really quite painful, which is why I want to talk about this to make people aware in advance. Um, now, you know, theoretically, your relatives are not trying to diss you. They're not trying to, uh, to, to cause problems because they don't love you. Uh, it's the opposite. But it still is very hurtful because they they feel somehow they need to be the devil's advocate. Like, oh, you know, clearly you've never thought about the consequences of, of leaving your job, right? So let's make you aware of those consequences. And, you know, 
if it's been a hard decision for you to have someone that you love uh, criticizing you and questioning your judgment can really feel terrible. And so one of the things that we need to be really aware of is that to a certain extent, you have to mount almost a public relations campaign to win over those people close to you and convince them that this is a good idea and a viable idea. Which I think bridges us to validators. And so that's another part of this chapter. So what is a validator? It sounds like somebody who's positively supporting you. And why are they so essential? A validator, and I'm hope I'm, I honestly hope I'm getting this right, Carol, because we're really doing a close reading of Reinventing You, which I, which I now wrote seven years ago. So I think what I meant by a validator is, uh, is getting, getting people, uh, who are, uh, who are your advocates and, and your allies, uh, to, to basically talk you up. And so one of the pieces of research that I really enjoyed uncovering when I wrote Reinventing You uh, was some research done by Robert Cialdini of Arizona State and Jeffrey Pfeffer of the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And they did research into personal branding and self-promotion. And what they discovered was that of course, as you might imagine, if you are perceived as bragging about yourself, it is not going to be well received. People tune it out really fast. But the interesting thing is that if someone else is saying literally those exact same things about you, people will love it. They'll eat it up. They want to hear more about you. Oh, who is this fabulous person? And so a great way that you can actually hasten this process is to proactively find a, uh, an ally, find a validator, find a wingman, and uh, you go to that person who should be someone that you like and respect and trust. And you say to them, hey, Carol, at the next you know meeting, conference, event, whatever it is, I will make a point of talking you up if you do the same for <laughs> okay, me. Okay, quid pro quo. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's nothing disingenuous about it if you really actually respect the person. Okay, so in, in my lingo, it would be a third-party endorser. There we go. There you go. Okay, validator. We learned a new word, third-party endorser. So, okay, so, so now we're, we're getting ready. And then you, let's talk about content. You started out talking about content. You gave us a great example. And actually, this also leans in to your third book, which is called Stand Out. And so can you talk about... How do you decide what content, in what venue? Is it big C, small C? Because there's a lot of content out there today. One of the most important elements when it comes to content is understanding where your ideal audience congregates, right? Um, you you want to meet people where they're at. And so if you are a business person, at least at this point in time, it is much less important that you be on TikTok, which is primarily driven by kids, teenagers, as compared to being on LinkedIn, which is, uh, of course, the, the preferred network for professionals. And so y- you can kind of work backwards from, okay, who am I trying to reach and where are they already? And then you can begin shaping your your content. But uh, the second question to ask is, where do I feel most comfortable personally? Uh, so you've identified where in terms of the, the channel, but there's a lot of ways that you can reach people. Um, maybe you could be doing audio or video content. That's increasingly an option. If you're a writer, you could be doing blog posts or um, creating a newsletter. Uh, so there's a lot of different strategies that you can use depending on your preferences and your skills. People's time is so finite. 
that the length of content, you know, you've, you've heard the old adage, well, you know, people have the attention span of a goldfish. It's, you know, six seconds. Um, so I'm just curious about what kind of guidance do you give, especially for business audiences? Yeah, this is this is such a great question. In fact, I actually was literally just talking about it today. I do a regular uh, weekly LinkedIn live show for Newsweek, and uh, the topic today was about social media usage. So, um, so it is it is top of mind. And I'll actually mention that if if people want to stay on top of uh, all of these. Uh, appearances, they can go to doryclark.com slash LinkedIn and subscribe to my newsletter and find out more there. Uh, but briefly, I will say it is true that in general, people's uh, attention spans have been getting shorter, uh, that that it, it becomes much harder amidst so much competition for you to stand out. But it is really important to note that if the content is actually interesting enough, People, people will tune in. They will do it. I mean, Tim Ferriss, of course, has one of the most popular business podcasts in the world, and his episodes sometimes are two and three hours long. Uh, people are perfectly happy to have long-form content if it's considered high-quality enough. Um, there's not one r- right way of doing it. Uh, sometimes, sometimes with my email newsletters, uh, every once in a while, I'll get somebody writing to me who says, oh, you know, I like your newsletter, but it's too long. And you know what? I just delete it because I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> I, I want, you know, if you don't like it, you can, you can unsubscribe. It's free. That's really the point. Like if you don't like it, I, I, you know, I'm not forcing anyone to do it, but I really believe that the right people are going to say, Oh my God, I wish it was longer. That's, that's what you want is to create something so high quality that, you know, this 500 word newsletter, geez, I wish it was a thousand. I wish it was 10,000 words because I would keep reading. That's what I want to create. I want to unpack interesting. And, you know, you talk about, you know, it can be longer um, as long as it's interesting. And uh, Tim Ferriss, who's like, you know, godfather in, uh, in terms of what he what he does in writing and such and his point of view, what constitutes interesting for someone who's reinventing themselves? If we are talking about it strictly through a business lens, interesting is in the eye of the intended audience, right? So if you are reinventing yourself and you are trying to establish your brand in your new area, the question really becomes, okay, who who are you trying to break in with? Who are you, who are you, you know, essentially, who are you trying to impress? So let's say you have been a corporate executive. You're trying to reinvent yourself as a consultant, which, you know, I deal with those folks all the time uh, as part of, uh, I have a course and community, the recognized expert community. And uh, there's a lot of people who are reinventing as coaches, consultants, etc. And so the starting point is always, okay, who are you looking to serve? And what are the things that they want to hear about? What are, what are the hot buttons with them? And you might at first say, well, I don't know, which is fine. That's plausible. Um, but you need to go find out. You need to get close to your customer. Have have coffees, have uh, conversations. If we don't know what our customers are actually interested in, that's a big problem for our business because you don't know what to sell them. You don't know what to charge because you have no idea if it's valuable to them at all, much less how valuable it is. And so if you if you were at a place where you say, gosh, I don't know what to write about, that may actually be emblematic of a deeper problem, which is that you are not close enough to your customer to understand what motivates them. 
Let's take a break and talk about the numbers. Beyond your three books, how many speeches have you given over the past few years? How many blogs have you written? How many followers do you have on social media? Give us a sense of your reach because I am so envious. I mean, you know, I'm an expert in purpose, but you are by far such an expert in terms of your influence. So please share some of your breadth of your, your reach and your influence. Thanks, Carol. Well, I know I know that in 2015, I gave 74 talks, which was my high watermark. And then at the end of 2015, I said, my God, what am I doing? And so I, I deliberately cut back a little from there. But over, over the past um, half decade, I, I've given hundreds of talks. And in terms of blogs, uh, over the past decade, uh, I actually had someone count for me. And so since 2010, I've done over 700 uh, blogs and articles for places like Forbes and the Harvard Business Review and Entrepreneur and Fast Company and things like that. And in terms of social followers, uh, probably my biggest emphasis and my biggest presence is on LinkedIn. I have about 165,000 followers there, uh, about 45,000 on Twitter, and uh, about uh, 10,000 or so on Facebook. And coming up strong is my Instagram. Uh, That is particularly important because that is where I post the pictures of Heath and Phil, the (laughs) aforementioned kittens. So I would heartily encourage everyone to follow me there at Dory Clark. And and also, I love when you travel. Um, you are posting phenomenal pictures from all around the world. Um, and I know that, that um, you also, I have to tell the listeners, sign up for Dory's newsletter. It is one of the most helpful newsletters, no matter what your profession. And simple, straightforward. I love the subject lines. Um, it's great. How many people follow you in your newsletter? Oh, thanks. Uh, Right now, it is 66,000 subscribers to the newsletter. Okay, so people can see why I'm so envious because your reach, reach is profound. I'd love to shift to companies. And, you know, you are coaching, teaching, writing. What benefit comes to an organization to promoting their employees to find their own purpose. Yeah. One of the most important elements, Carol, is the fact that obviously, I mean, we we all we all know intuitively as well as through research that when people are internally motivated about something, they are far more likely to want to spend more time on it, to overperform, to uh to to really make it right and spend time on it because it's something that they are excited to do rather than that they have to do or are forced to do. And so to the extent that companies can help their employees find a sense of purpose around their work and uh, where possible, align their their duties or assignments accordingly so that they're working on things that they feel really jazzed about, you are going to get happier employees. You're going to have harder working employees because they are are going to to feel like, you know what? 
the, the distance between my work and my pleasure is, is actually very narrow. When, when, when your work is legitimately what you would be doing for fun, then why would, why would you stop? It's, uh, it, it's, it's really, it's really quite powerful, uh, when you can be doing something and, and feel like, wow, this is, you know, even if I wasn't paid money, this is what I would want to be doing because it's so meaningful. You know, you always hear this, like, now that you know what you know, what would you say to your younger self? Yes. Well, in, in many ways, that's sort of the entirety of why I wrote Reinventing You was uh, I was just so caught off guard when I had to, to reinvent myself these multiple times early in my career when I got laid off as a reporter, when I worked on the campaign that lost and then suddenly had to come up with a plan B. And of course, I hadn't been coming up with a plan B. So, I, you know, I just had no idea. <laughs> and uh, I really wanted to try to gather wisdom from people who had reinvented themselves successfully and encapsulate it so that someone could have a little bit more of a roadmap and a little bit more of a, of a guidebook than I did, uh, because I did feel like I made all kinds of mistakes and was uh, just just a little slower on the uptake than uh, than I, I would have wanted to be. So I think in terms of in terms of lessons, um, probably the biggest thing for me was just understanding the the tight the tight relationship between reinventing yourself and branding yourself as reinvented because this is it's very much like a tree falling in the forest kind of situation like you can reinvent yourself all you want but if other people don't understand that you've reinvented yourself your opportunities are going to be pretty limited because you need other people to get a job you need other people to get clients and if they're still thinking of you the way you were five years ago that's not very helpful so you need to be able to tell an effective story so that other people get it and then you can tap the help from your broader social network. How will you know that you've been successful in your efforts? One good gauge, people start forgetting what you used to do or, or, they, or they get surprised, <laughs> you know, wait, Carol used to do purpose? I just thought she was always the champion hang glider. You know, that's, that's what you want is, is like, oh, wow, okay. Now, you know, now, now you know you've sort of embedded yourself in people's consciousness. So we're unfortunately getting to the bottom of this, but um, I, I, we always like to ask, what are your top three insights for listeners who want to do this very specific shift? They are either going to change companies they're go they're going to start a consultancy. They'll change jobs within their companies, but they want to have something that touches on their own values, um, and it's more purposeful. So, any so three insights for them. Yeah. So for folks who want to make some kind of a, a reinvention, uh, again, whether it's inside a company or shifting to working for yourself, what whatever it is, um, to have a more purpose driven career. I would say that there's uh, a few things that you can be doing. The first is recognizing that you don't actually have to make a shift all in one fell swoop. Oftentimes, we, we somehow think that any kind of a transition has to be all or nothing, and that if it's not, that it's, it's like wimpy somehow. Uh, but I really want to encourage people to, to understand you can start today. It's not like you have to, oh, I'll, I'll wait, I'll save up, and in five years, I'll quit my job. Well, you know what? Why don't you start today and not wait five years, but you also don't have to quit your job? 
Like there's a lot you can do nights and weekends to get started, get learning, get meeting people and really begin to put the pieces in place. Uh, I would say that's number one. Number two is I am a really big fan, uh, as we've talked about actually, of content creation. And content creation can actually be really valuable, honestly, as a form of professional development. So if you're interested in making a transition to a certain field, something you can actually start doing now is interviewing people who are in that field already, interview them for a podcast or write it, write it up on a blog on LinkedIn. Uh, and you will, you will be, uh, promoting your brand. You'll be promoting their brand and you'll be making a networking contact in the process. So that can be quite valuable. And I would say number three is I, uh, am a, a really big fan as well of the power of building your network overall, because these are the people that over time are going to be helpful to you. And so starting, starting even in just small ways, I think a lot of people get lazy about this and they don't start networking until the minute they decide, oh, I need a new job. Oh, I better network. And then it, it's, it's like looking for water when you're already in the desert. Um, we need, uh, in the words of uh, the great the great thinker Harvey McKay, we need to dig our well before we're thirsty. And so uh, creating some kind of a ritual, and you can do it virtually too. You can do it on Skype or on Zoom, uh, but having coffee, either real world or virtual with somebody uh, just you know once a week to build, to continue building your network and to have that discipline over time, uh, it really compounds, the benefit compounds over time. This has been a phenomenal conversation because I just hope, and I will be promoting this to people, to those thousands of people who want to add more purpose to their work. And you have really unpacked the many different layers of, you know, what they can start thinking about and then the touchstones that they can walk across. You know, they don't have to do it all at once, which I, which I really, really love. So in closing, what haven't I asked you? I mean, obviously we could go on for hours and, and you do, by the way, I've watched your LinkedIn learning and they're great. They're, you know, they're snippets, you know, each one's two and a half minutes. It might be, I don't know, 25, 35 minutes. They're terrific. And so, um, I, I really suggest that our, our listeners, you know, go to your website, really drill down to the type of information they want. But what haven't I asked that we could share, you know, in the final moments, some more pearls of wisdom from Dory Clark? Well, I'll just mention you had talked about um, my newsletter, and I want to make sure people know, because we've been talking about reinvention, I actually have a Reinventing You self-assessment that people can get for free, and in subscribing to that, they can uh, they can be subscribed to my newsletter. Uh, folks can download that free self-assessment at doryclark.com slash reinvent. Well, that, that's fantastic. And I know that in your books, you're always saying being very generous with your content and to build up your um, your newsletter followers um, or, or such that, you know, have something that's got substance, but you give it away. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to follow all of your advice. Um, I don't think that I've gotten, I don't think you're giving me an A plus yet, but we're, we're, we're still, we do a lot of content ourselves. And so, um, you know, you are an extraordinary individual. I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, and I just trust that the people who are looking to add purpose to their careers or not. But I think that, again, our show's about purpose in 360 degree ways. I think that you've shown us, you know, from A to Z and backwards, so many great insights, how to truly reinvent yourself 
and then take content and really stand out. So I want to thank you, Dory. I think you probably will have launched, once this airs, thousands of people doing a pivot in their careers. And I think that it goes back to part of your purpose and my purpose. So I want to thank you so much. And then I want to ask our listeners this question, what is your purpose? Thanks so much, Dory. Dory. 